Welcome to the Bovi UK podcast, where we will be discussing diseases from diagnosis through to management. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. So today we're going to be looking at demystifying the cascade and look at how it allows the prescribing veterinary surgeon to prescribe medicines for the best patient outcomes. So we're lucky to have Mark Bowen with us today. And just to give Mark an intro, so Mark is an RCVS specialist in equine internal medicine and has a number of specialist qualifications. He spent 25 years working in academia in the UK and was a founding member of Nottingham Vet School. He recently left to work in specialist postgraduate education in Europe as director of education for EBVS and also for Vetsy, alongside his own specialist consultancy business in the Midlands. Mark has long-term experience and understanding of the veterinary medicines regulations he was author of Beaver's Protect Me Toolkit for Antibiotic Use and a member of Beaver and Fever's Medicines Committee and is a member of the VMD's Veterinary Product Committee and has authored a number of articles on the subject of the Cascade. So welcome, Mark, and thank you for coming today. Hi, Emma. So let's start off with the Cascade. Mark, could you just clarify the different steps within the Cascade just to go through them so that we know each and every one? that we need to consider along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So the cascade has changed very slightly with Brexit as well. So it's worth refreshing everybody's mind. So the cascade is something that you will apply if there is not a suitable medicine for the treatment of your target species for a target condition. And the first step of the cascade is to consider a suitable medicine that is a, has a veterinary marketing authorization in the UK and that's irrespective of species or indication. So it would be using an equine product licensed for another condition or a canine or a farm animal product. The second stage is very simply considering medicines that are authorised for human use in the UK or for veterinary use in another country, and that's the slight change since Brexit. We can consider drugs from outside the EU, not just within the EU. And then the third step is to consider medicines that are prepared by as as specials, so extemporaneously produced products. And the RCVS have the view that where possible, we should be obtaining those from authorised specials manufacturers, because that brings a degree of quality assurance in terms of they know what the raw ingredient is, and they have ensured that there are no other products within in what you're providing. So those are the steps of the cascade. There is one final um, allowance outside the cascade to be applied in um, very special circumstances where everything else is being considered, and that is on a case-by-case basis, which is the importation of human medicines from outside the UK. And that is only by exception that requires a special import certificate and is usually only issued on a per horse basis. So how do you use the Cascade? The Cascade is something that as vets, we all use on a daily basis and probably multiple times a day. And many of those times, we don't even appreciate that we are using the Cascade. And what I want people to do is understand that using the cascade is not a not something they should worry about. It's not something they're going to get in trouble for. 
but it is something that they should at least be thinking about so that they are providing the very best care for their patients. So one example that many of us in equine practice would, when we would apply the cascade, is when we use phenylbutazone for the treatment of horses with colic. And many of us overlook the fact that injectable phenylbutazone and the oral form are only authorised for the treatment of orthopaedic pain. So when every time we're treating a horse with colic with bute, we are in fact applying the cascade. So would that mean that if they're applying the cascade on those instances, then you would need to be obtaining off-label consent? So theoretically, yes. So the RCVS require us to obtain um, consent every time we are using a medicine outside the prescribing, outside the marketing authorization. But clearly that would be a ridiculous thing to do. So my guidance, what I do in practice is that I think about using consent when I'm using products that are authorised in other species rather than indication. And that's just a pragmatic approach. Otherwise, we would literally drown in paper. Do you have um, other examples of where you're going to be using the different steps in the cascade for products that are maybe licensed for that use, but um, maybe isn't quite as suitable for your species and you want to use that same active ingredient, but maybe it's licensed for other species? Yes, so probably the corticosteroids that are one of the drugs that we use widely in equine practice that would fit in that route. So we do have corticosteroids authorised for the treatment of horses. Obviously, we've got injectable dexamethasone and oral prednisolone. And the prednisolone orally is authorised for the treatment of equine asthma, whereas dexamethasone has a much wider marketing authorization, but has to be given by injection. Now, there are many conditions where we might use prednisolone for the treatment of horses with skin disease, for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease in horses. And in that setting, we are obviously going to be using a drug which is not authorised for the uh, target species for that given indication. So at that point, we are applying the prescribing cascade. So the thing that we should then be thinking about is what is the most appropriate drug to use in that step? So if I'm using prednisolone for the treatment of uh, equine skin disease, then I could either use injectable dexamethasone, which I would often start those animals on when I'm at the side of the, the patient. And then I would want to move to some form of oral medication. And the steps that I would consider under the cascade are using either oral equine prednisolone for a different condition, so using it in this setting, or I would consider using the canine prednisolone tablets for that individual setting. Now, there's clearly problems with both of those formulations. So getting tablets into to horses can be difficult. We often tell owners to, to crush those tablets. And in so doing, they generate this fine dust of corticosteroids, probably which they're inhaling. So I try not to get people to do that. So in those settings, it might be then more appropriate to think about a better formulation that is more suitable. And what the cascade expects us to do is think about suitability. Is it appropriate 
for our clients to be administering perhaps 100 canine prednisolone tablets? Are they going to get those drugs or are we going to see treatment failure? In many cases, I find dexamethasone to be more effective. That's my personal experience, especially for inflammatory bowel disease. So the the skinny horse that has thickened bowel on, on ultrasound. And in those cases, I want to be thinking about dexamethasone utilization. So we would then go down the cascade that there is only an injectable formulation of dexamethasone available for use in the horse. Some of you will be old enough to remember that we once did have dexamethasone tablets for use in horses, but that was many decades ago now. So we would then think about, well, there aren't any appropriate and suitable canine products that we could use or other veterinary species authorized medicines where we could use dexamethasone and therefore we would also consider the human products and the strength of those tablets often means you're giving a, a very large number of them and then we then come to the third step of the cascade which are the veterinary specials and that's when uh, things like dexamethasone pastes become really useful as we are able to ensure that we get good compliance from the horse and from the owner in that those corticosteroids are getting into our patient. Okay so you touched on it then just then what about human medication on that step on the cascade? Yeah so human medication comes in as the the second step of the prescribing cascade and it's in parallel with considering importation from other countries and we often will will look to human medications as possible suitable ways of treating our patients the biggest problem we have with human medications is the concentrations often aren't appropriate for use in the horse and therefore we're giving very large numbers of tablet tablets or volumes of injectable products but it should also always be our our second consideration in the the cascade. As I say, in parallel to considering human products, we should also consider veterinary products from outside the UK. And and since Brexit, that's obviously changed to outside the UK to rather than being just within the EU. So considering suitable products from any other country that have a veterinary marketing authorization in that country. Now, one of the challenges that we have with importing medicines is actually the UK has a pretty good stock of veterinary medicines. So it's often you will find you can go searching, you often won't find products authorised in other countries with a few exceptions. The other challenge, of course, is there's no easy way to find those products. Identifying where you might find another suitable medicine is very complex. There's no central database, even across Europe, that is usable to identify veterinary medicines. So it's then a case of talking to your your importers to help identify what might be suitable for use in that case. And I suppose in reality, in day-to-day practice, when you're pretty busy, if you use the word consider, which I think is very fair when looking at the cascade, and if they are considering their options that they know is available and know what's available for them to immediately get, because they've generally got a patient in front of them, they probably haven't got time on their side to be 
researching what is possibly available in other countries and then having it imported in to be able to give it to that patient that sat on their consult table today. No, that's clearly going to be a problem. Going into the stables or something like that. Yeah, that's clearly going to be a problem. So for immediate care, you're often going to want to look for a product that is immediately available to you. Whenever you're using imported medicines, you have to obtain a special import certificate. The time frame for that has dramatically reduced over the years. So absolutely, it, it is usually a matter of one or two days before that certificate comes in. The import time is much less of an issue with whole wholesale distributors holding stock of some imported products within the UK. So there are options to you, but it's still a case of knowing which product you're going to use. Okay, and then stepping away from the individual steps within the cascade, when looking at antibiotics, because we're all being more responsible, using less and and trying to only use them when appropriate, where do antibiotics sit when considering the use of them and looking at the cascade and, and looking at treating horses with antibiotics? So the VMD have made it very clear that they prioritise responsible use of antimicrobials. And that might include using antimicrobials at doses that aren't covered in the marketing authorization that we do for uh, penicillin on a daily basis. Or it, it might include using perhaps an unauthorised medicine rather than using one that is critically important. I think one good example of antibiotic use in equine practice, we obviously have very few oral antibiotics. So we have authorised formulations of trimethoprim sulfadiazine, but actually apart from that, we are very limited in authorised medicines. And therefore, many of us will reach to the oral tetracyclines, especially doxycycline as an alternative formulation or an alternative way of treating horses. And it has a very good spectrum of activity. It has a good volume of distribution. We certainly know that as we as a profession have been pushing away from using the critically important drugs such as ceftifer and enrofloxacin, that people are moving more towards using doxycycline. But doxycycline, as many of will come with its own problems. I mean, the, the porcine and poultry versions are designed to be diluted in water they're a very acidic substance and we often overlook the challenges of that until somebody comes to us perhaps a a veterinary nurse working in a hospital or an owner complaining about the stains on their clothes where the the doxycycline has bleached their clothing or when you see stables with brand marks up the stable wall where people have tried to syringe doxycycline liquid into the horse's mouth Now, there is some data suggesting we should be giving these products on an empty stomach. So giving them directly into the mouth is probably what we should be doing rather than giving them in food. The bioavailability is improved and therefore we will get a a better effect. But obviously, if we're talking about doxycycline highclate, that's going to give us more problems. And we do sometimes see oral and esophageal, and I've seen one horse with gastric ulceration, very extensive gastric ulceration following treatment with doxycycline highclate. 
So what do we do about that? Because we don't want people to stop using doxycycline and reverting to where we were 20 years ago, which is a growing use of enrofloxacin. Well, fortunately, there are non-acidic bases of doxycycline. So doxycycline monohydrate would be the most widely known of those. And doxycycline um, monohydrate is a, a neutral pH and can be given either um, as a powder mixed up in a, a to a paste or pre-formulated as a paste. But both of those are specials. We have to consider the our obligations when using specials that we need to, in that case, obtain consent. Obviously, though, we would be obtaining consent when using the porcine and poultry versions of doxycycline hyclate because, again, they're not authorised for use um, in those species. And then I, probably the biggest question, um, putting, putting you on the spot a little bit with this one, but I get asked this quite a lot. So there is a, there's probably a lot of vets out there that, that want to know the answer to this question. How do you go about justifying going straight to a special on the Cascade when there is already a licensed product available? Okay, so that we've just come up with a couple of those examples. I suppose the the dexamethasone paste or the doxycycline monohydrate, both times where I might treat that animal with a, a special rather than using authorised products that can contain similar or identical active ingredients. And what we have to do is consider the question of suitability. So the cascade is a decision-making tree. And ideally, we should go through this decision-making process on a case-by-case basis. We don't need to to write it down, but it'd be great if we did, where we would be thinking, okay, I want to give an oral antibiotic to this horse. It's likely to be resistant to trimethoprim sulfur, so I'm not going to use an authorised product. It's likely to be sensitive to doxycycline, so I'm going to consider first the the veterinary medicines authorised in another species, of which there are some. But as we've just said, there's a good reason in terms of pH and its impact on bioavailability if given in feed, we then would consider the second step of the cascade that we're then going to consider human or imported medicines doesn't actually give us much extra in terms of avenues of antibiotics that we might use for that case. And therefore, we move to a special formulation. And we've made that decision based on suitability in terms of the formulation and in terms of compliance, because these drugs are not going to work if we don't get them into the animal. And antibiotics squirted around our environment is means that we are getting sub-antimicrobial dosing and we are exposing the environment to antibiotics as well as the effects that we have on the clothing of our staff and our owners. So that's one good example where you can absolutely make that justification. You've considered suitability at each step. Now, what happens after a while is that becomes almost automatic. You come to treat a horse that you want to, that you suspect has a, a streptococcal pneumonia, 
and you're thinking about antibiotics and you have made that decision so many times that you then bypass the direct considerations. So it's important at some point you have thought about it. The VMD do allow us to have practice protocols as we apply antibiotics. And that's one other, if we weren't allowed to do that, we wouldn't be able to have come up with the protect me document as a way to protocolize antibiotic use in clinical practice. But in terms of other medicine suitability, we should be making that decision on a case by case basis. So you should be going through those considerations. And we all do. We just don't document them. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose compliance comes up quite a bit when I'm having discussions with clinics and vets there. So if they were to, if they're not sure where to obtain unauthorized consent forms, is there somewhere that we can easily find them? Yes. Yeah, so there are consent forms, both on the uh, VDS and Beaver website. So those consent forms will help you to obtain consent. The one on the Beaver website was specifically designed to help encourage you go through the, to go through those steps it can be filled out on your mobile phone and the client can sign it there and then and you can email it back to the client so they get a a copy as well as the consent though there is the the expectation that clients will be informed of potential adverse effects of any medicine used outside their marketing authorization so an equivalent of the package insert because consent that isn't informed is meaningless. So <clears throat> giving them a, an equivalent package insert can be very useful. And again, Beaver have produced their client information leaflets to, to help you through those. And they're freely available. You don't even need to be a Beaver member. And there are even QR codes that you can pre-print and apply to bottles in the clinic so that once you get out to the, the owner, there again isn't another pile of paperwork to hand out I, th I think they're they're quite popular they come up quite a bit in our discussions so I think they are very valued in the equine community so I think that's it for wrapping it up on Cascade I think we've covered all the different steps how we can go about using the Cascade compliantly how that we're lucky to have the Cascade in the veterinary industry to be able to prescribe what we feel is appropriate for our target species and also our individual clients that are sat in front of us with their owners as well and it's just being confident in your conviction of when you're prescribing that is the most appropriate product for that patient so do you have anything else to add the most important thing has to be remember we are doing what we do for the interests of the animal and as long as your decision making processes are about the animal in front of you, please don't worry that you might not be following the cascade because you will be. As long as you follow that simple decision-making process, you are following the cascade and somebody else in the practice or another practice might disagree with your decision-making. That's their decision. But what you do with the animal in front of you is your decision. So please don't worry that somebody else says you're not following the cascade. What they mean is I would make a different decision in that setting and I would use different justifications for the use of those medicines.
Those decisions are always yours and they are personal decisions. Thank you very much for today. It's been a really good discussion on demystifying the cascade and how it can be used compliantly in day-to-day practice. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. <laughs>